These pioneers are akin to the Bitcoiners who showed up post-Mount Gox, through to the class of 2020. These are the individuals who saw the promise and opportunity of Bitcoin and seized it, despite the dangers that mainstream society warned us of. In the same way that the Oregon Trail was fraught with perils, so too is the journey from pre-coiner to Bitcoin maximalism. A greenhorn in digital assets has to navigate the treacherous landscape of cryptocurrency information available online, fending off scammers like Indian braves seeking scalps, and finding the right passage through the rocky mountains of shitcoinery. Breaking an axle is akin to losing funds in an exchange hack, dysentery like mismanaging keys, tempting shortcuts through the mountains like leverage trading on BitMEX. The journey to the promised land of financial security and a brighter future is full of dangers, but the promise of a better life beckons the adventurous and the bold. The Best in Bitcoin Made Audible I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I'm Guy Swan, the guy who's read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And this is a piece I have been wanting to read for quite some time. And I told myself I was going to finish uh, uh, reading the not-so-wild Wild West, so I was going to have all of these great points and notes and things to add to the discussion and the guy's take for this one. Um, and uh, I'm like, like many, many, many months later, I am like 30 pages into the Not So Wild Wild West. So I figured it made no sense to wait any longer. Uh, we are reading, this is on Citadel 21. Um, I'm sure a lot of you guys know that publication, but they have so many great pieces. I highly encourage you to go check it out if you haven't. Uh, it's citadel21.com. And Croesus has a number of great pieces, and this one is titled Bitcoin and the American West. It is a journey through the analogy of the new frontier and its history so that we can kind of, to, to give us an opportunity to potentially look much further out into Bitcoin's future. Because it's so easy to think, oh, Bitcoin has already done its thing. We, you know, somebody who just got here is like, man, I missed the boat. Everything in the Bitcoin development and the ecosystem is behind us. And... Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm late. And I think this analogy does such a good job of laying out exactly why that is literally no, could not be further from the truth that we are just beginning and how much opportunity truly lies before us. Um, so before we get into it, I just want to thank uh, our amazing sponsors. Um, a huge thank you to Swan Bitcoin, longtime sponsor to this show. They have been a huge supporter to Bitcoin Audible, and they are the best place to buy Bitcoin automatically to boot. Uh, Fold, the Fold card uh, gets me sats back on literally everything that I do. Uh, got sats back the other day on my healthcare. Just mind-blowing. And where are you going to keep all those sats? You're going to keep them in your Bitbox. You want a secure, easy-to-use hardware wallet. Bitbox is it. And lastly, you're going to get 10% off and you're going to get your tickets to Bitcoin 2022 and you're going to come hang out. And we're going to have a great ass time at the most epic Bitcoin conference in the world. Links, discounts, all that good stuff 
right in the show notes. So don't forget to check it out. With that, let's dive into today's read, and it is titled Bitcoin and the American West by Croesus. When frontiers develop, what does it look like when a new frontier develops? With Bitcoin, we often refer to the internet as the analogous frontier by which to envision Bitcoin's future trajectory. This is certainly the most appropriate comparison, as these two pieces are the yin and yang of the digital revolution. The internet is the digitization of information, while Bitcoin is the complementary digitization of value. However, this comparison has its limitations, specifically because the internet is still developing, though our contemporaneous bias is to think of it as complete. When we limit our Bitcoin comparisons to the early days of the internet, we miss out on the insights we might draw about the future trajectory of Bitcoin beyond the stage of development that the internet has now reached. Looking back further in time, we can identify previous frontiers whose development has now reached completion. With one of those examples as a guide, it's possible to take a deeper look at the evolutionary stages of that former frontier's development. By comparison, we can take stock of where Bitcoin lies in that journey and what that could mean for Bitcoin's arc into the future. This will be an extended analogy. And while the nature and specifics of the comparison may vary drastically in some respects, the broad brushstrokes of history have much to teach us. As a starting point, this is my core assertion. The internet in 2008 was like America in 1802. The Early Days, The American West and Bitcoin Colonies to Country The seed of American westward expansionism has been part of the fabric of the American identity since European settlers first arrived in the New World in the 1620s. When coastal footholds on the eastern seaboard flourished enough that new settlers arrived to lay claim to their piece of the New World, they headed inland, westward. For the next 150 years, the British colonies of America flourished like a bacteria colony in a fertile petri dish, gradually overpowering the native populations in a long series of expansionist conflicts. With the American Revolution cementing American self-determination, the new nation could shift its attention at last from its preoccupation with the crown to the east and unleash its appetite for growth to the west. In 1787, the United States created the Northwest Territory, establishing the framework for the conquest and settling of the exotic land in the distant west known as Ohio. In 1795, the United States secured right of deposit in New Orleans from Spain, ensuring that American merchants had rights to conduct commerce in and through the vital port at the mouth of the Mississippi that marked the western edge of the American sphere of influence. This brings us to 1802. What did America look like in 1802? Here he actually has a map of the U.S. from the year 1800. 
and showing all the states that were settled and essentially how it was everything was just east to the Mississippi or east of the Mississippi River. Um, but I'll, obviously I'll have the link in the show notes if you want to kind of check out a lot of the visuals and links that are actually available in this article. From a contemporaneous vantage point, America had achieved a great deal. The first colonies in the 1620s had flourished and developed to a point that they had declared themselves self-sovereign. At the time, it would have been difficult to imagine how much more America would develop in the years to come. As a result of the perpetual logical fallacy of imagining the present as the end state of things, a citizen in 1802 would have likely imagined that America had already reached its fully formed state in its 180-year history. And this is where the similarity to the internet in 2008 begins. ARPANET, the earliest colony of what would become the internet, launched in 1969. By 2008, the internet had already achieved so much. To most casual observers, 40 years into the internet's development, the bulk of the internet had already been created. Since it's a recent enough history, we can all recall what that time felt like on the internet. We had Google, Amazon, Facebook, iTunes, YouTube. How much more was there to create? But for America in 1802, just like the internet in 2008, everything was about to change. The Louisiana Purchase in 1803, the right of American merchants to pass through New Orleans became muddled when the Spanish ceded control of the city to the French. In response, President Jefferson dispatched James Monroe and Robert Livingston to Paris to negotiate the purchase of New Orleans. Days before Monroe arrived in Paris, Napoleon happened to experience a swing of disinterest in Louisiana in its entirety. Cut off from further guidance by the lengthy transatlantic correspondence delay, Monroe and Livingston wrestled with the magnitude of what was on the table. Quote, The field open to us is infinitely larger than our instructions contemplated. But Monroe already had the seed of an exceptional idea in his head. Long before the term manifest destiny would put a name to it, or the eponymous Monroe Doctrine would turn this idea into a protectionist foreign policy. Monroe believed that the New World should be allowed to develop as a sovereign land unto its own, and that the United States was to be the natural leader of the Western Hemisphere. It's worth underlining just how forward-thinking Monroe's budding vision of the America's grand destiny was for the time. Quote, Monroe knew that the land he thought of buying did not even exist in the minds of most Americans. The fact that the land west of the Great River was much more extensive than the better-known eastern part was not only unknown, but quite unthinkable. Long before the average American wanted a slice of the west, before they were even aware of lands west of the Mississippi, James Monroe had vision enough to understand its value. As a result, Monroe and Livingston boldly agreed to the Louisiana Purchase that would change the United States forever and irreversibly set in motion the American conquest of the West. 
Despite the obvious magnitude of this milestone in American history with the benefit of ample hindsight, at the time, Monroe and Livingston returned home to criticism from the press for acquiring, quote, a vast wilderness world which will prove worse than useless to us. You may have already realized the parallel, but in this analogy, the Louisiana Purchase on July 4th, 1803, can be considered akin to the launch of Bitcoin on January 9th, 2009. While Satoshi's creation of Bitcoin is far more impressive than Monroe's lucky acquisition of a vast, unknown western region for the United States, they can be thought of as similar forward thinkers who broke the paradigm of what was possible and opened up a vast new frontier land for others to explore and develop. Early Exploration Lewis and Clark and the Cypherpunks Shortly after the Louisiana Purchase was finalized, President Jefferson realized that this frontier needed to be explored, particularly with the hope of identifying viable rivers for commercial transportation, as the flatter eastern half of the country enjoys with its broad waterways. He charged his secretary and former Army Captain, Meriwether Lewis, who in turn recruited his friend, William Clark, with heading the expedition. Over the next few years, Lewis and Clark explored the American Plains, Rocky Mountains, and Pacific Northwest. In doing so, they were the first non-natives to venture into this vast wilderness. In effect, their expedition pierced the imposing silence of the total unknown. Having done so, they were able to put the first lines on a previously blank map. The American West was no longer a vast and intimidating blank spot on a map. Now it had its rough contours sketched out. In this way, we can think of the Lewis and Clark expedition as Hal Finney and the other cypherpunks who were first to explore Bitcoin's potential in 2009 to 2010. Their contributions were not focused on building infrastructure or companies, but in being the first ones to report on the merits and potential of this new creation, thereby enticing others to follow. In effect, their contribution was to make the unknown knowable and launch the viral word-of-mouth phenomenon that drives Bitcoin's network effect. First Infrastructure Mountain Men and the Earliest Exchanges and Bitcoin Companies Next, the testimony and documentation of Lewis and Clark invited mountain men. These intrepid souls, the mythic images of rugged individualism, explored further and laid the earliest foundations of infrastructure to make this extreme frontier a little more accessible for those who would follow. 3,000 roamed the North American Rocky Mountains from 1810 to the early 1840s. With no established infrastructure, their existence in the West was defined by unforgiving conditions and pure self-reliance. In Bitcoin, the earliest frontiersmen were the miners and speculators who engaged with Bitcoin before there were any marketplaces at all, and who presided over the development of the earliest exchanges, culminating in the first major exchange, Mt. Gox. Some of these earlier frontiersmen would go on to establish their own trading posts or fur trapping companies, akin to the Bitcoin OGs who founded companies like Kraken, Grayscale, or Blockstream. 
It's worth reflecting on what types of people were mountain men, and similarly what kind of people were drawn to Bitcoin in 2011 and 2012, before Bitcoin broke through $10 for good. In the fur trapper frontier days of the American West, it took a wild man to survive and thrive. Seth Kinman, known for killing 800 grizzly bears. Pierre Richard, known for slaying Keynesians. These wild men contributed firsts. Jebediah Smith was the first to explore the Sierra Nevada mountains, cross the Mojave, and discover the crucial South Pass, a navigable route through the Continental Divide which would enable the Oregon Trail. In the process, he survived, quote, three Native American massacres and one bear mauling. Most early Bitcoiners have survived their share of hacks and attacks, and all have been mauled by a bear or two. These were also men of legend, whose exploits became myth and whose tales became tall. Jim Bridger liked to tell Greenhorns, quote, of his pursuit by 100 Cheyenne warriors. After being chased for several miles, Bridger found himself at the end of a box canyon, with the Indians bearing down on him. At this point, Bridger would go silent, prompting his listener to ask, What happened then, Mr. Bridger? Bridger would then reply, They killed me. But often, these colorful tales were rooted in the remarkable experiences these men had as trailblazers. John Coulter was the first to explore Yellowstone, though his claims of a boiling water shooting from the ground earned his discovery the jeering name of Coulter's Hell. In a similar vein, Laszlo Hynix was the first to spend Bitcoin for a real-world product, paying 10,000 Bitcoin for a pair of pizzas, a landmark first that has since generated plenty of jeers from a misunderstanding public. While you could say that it took an intrepid and daring man to thrive on the frontier, you could conversely say that the kind of man who sought a living in the unforgiving West often did so because they were marginalized from or otherwise unsuited to civilized society. As an example of the extreme personalities of many mountain men, to avenge his wife's death, John Liver-Eating Johnson, quote, killed and scalped more than 300 Crow Indians and then devoured their livers. Although not quite so sensationally colorful, some early Bitcoin users were similarly driven to adopt Bitcoin as a result of their personalities or life circumstances, disenfranchising them from mainstream banking. WikiLeaks was forced to accept Bitcoin when its bank accounts were frozen. And of course, one of the earliest use cases of Bitcoin was for illicit transactions outside of the purview of traditional banking infrastructure on the dark web. Pioneering Adoption the Oregon Trail, and Bitcoin Maximalists. Building off the scant trading post infrastructure and routes established by the frontiersmen, adventurous folk searching for opportunity began to trek westward, drawn by whispers of bountiful farmland in the new territory of Oregon. In 1839, a group of 18 men set out from Illinois carrying a large flag with their motto, Oregon or the Grave. Nine made it to Oregon. It's not hard to imagine a similar flag flying at a Bitcoin maximalist citadel. Bitcoin or the grave. In 1843, 
a thousand migrants set out for Oregon in what would be known as the Great Migration of 1843. Those who reached Oregon in 1843 were granted, free of charge, 640 acres of farmland per married couple. This was decreased to 320 acres in 1850 and further restricted to 160 in 1862. These pioneers are akin to the Bitcoiners who showed up post-Mount Gox through to the class of 2020. These are the individuals who saw the promise and opportunity of Bitcoin and seized it, despite the dangers that mainstream society warned us of. In the same way that the Oregon Trail was fraught with perils, so too is the journey from pre-coiner to Bitcoin maximalism. A greenhorn in digital assets has to navigate the treacherous landscape of cryptocurrency information available online, fending off scammers like Indian Braves seeking scalps, and finding the right passage through the rocky mountains of shitcoinery. Breaking an axle is akin to losing funds in an exchange hack, dysentery like mismanaging keys, tempting shortcuts through the mountains like leverage trading on BitMEX. The journey to the promised land of financial security and a brighter future is full of dangers, but the promise of a better life beckons the adventurous and bold. Those who successfully navigated the journey of education and reached the promised land of Bitcoin maximalism found themselves able to convert their fiat savings into dozens or even hundreds of Bitcoin, simply because so few had thus far reached the same intellectual destination. There was ample acreage of Bitcoin land available because there was not yet much demand competing over available supply. Most of us in this contingent did not complete the journey without difficult losses along the way. The journey demanded a pound of flesh and left us scarred and hardened. Our rewards are not lightly won. In just the same way that we look back in time at the earliest to make their journey to Oregon as lucky for the large ranches they received as their reward, while discounting that they lost family members along the way, future Bitcoiners will discount the hardship and loss we early maximalists endured while finding our way to the ample bounty of stacking sats before the rest of the world arrived. Finally, it's illuminating to consider recent Bitcoin adoption through this lens of men and women seeking a brighter future, willing to risk what they have on a perilous journey to reach it. For whatever reason, the conventional belief in our culture is that the smartest are the first to figure out the value of something new and world-changing. But this is not the case with Bitcoin or with the pioneers of past frontiers. It's not intelligence that decides who is first to embrace a high-risk, high-reward opportunity. Instead, it's the combination of the drive to create a better future, willingness to risk ruin, and bold character that is necessary to stride into the unknown against the urging of friends, family, and society. The American West's Past and Bitcoin's Future all the history we've now walked through was to get to this point. Over the previous sections, we've tracked the spiritually parallel arcs of the early days of the American West and the early days of Bitcoin. But now we have arrived at Bitcoin's present. It's here that we can draw insights about what lays ahead for Bitcoin 
by taking notice of the arc that the American West followed after 1845. From this example, we can get a sense for what it looks like when a frontier is incrementally developed and integrated into the mainstream, and by extension, what lays ahead for Bitcoin. Early Adopters California Gold Rush and the 2021 Bull Market By 1845, the American West had developed a great deal. To a mountain man, the fledgling infrastructure of established trails and interconnected trading posts would have been jarringly different from the entirely unknown wilderness of 1810. And yet, it would have been very wrong to imagine that the West had finished developing, or even that its early burst of development would slow. With the Oregon Trail and its California Trail branch decently established by 1845, it made the news of gold very different in 1849. Rather than some distant rumor of fortunes being made in an inaccessible foreign land, the discovery of gold in California's foothills poured gasoline on the narrative that had already been percolating in the eastern states. There is opportunity in the West. It wouldn't be until 1865 that this idea was famously distilled into its essential meme. Go West, young man. With the advantages of information exchange on the internet, we already have our analogous encapsulation of the path to a brighter future. Stack sats, stay humble. The 1849 California Gold Rush brought a flood of 300,000 adventurous spirits seeking riches in the West. Many of them arrived via the California Trail overland route, supported by its associated infrastructure built by the earlier Oregon pioneers and the mountain men before them. It's interesting to note the cultural shift that the California Gold Rush represents with regard to the mainstream concept of what the West was or could mean for them. When Monroe secured the Louisiana Purchase, most Americans didn't know about or care about anything west of the Mississippi. The entire concept was far outside of the paradigm they lived in, and therefore was summarily dismissed in the collective social consciousness. A few decades later, in 1849, the news of gold in California serves as a flashpoint that ignites a growing cultural unconscious recognition that there is opportunity in the West. Suddenly, everyone wanted a slice of the American West, though their preoccupation was with unearthing riches to take home to create a better life for themselves in the East. It's worth noting that the allure of the gold rush was not confined to America either. People from all over the world were drawn to California, seeking economic opportunity in the gold fields, or as the Chinese called it, Gold Mountain. It's quite possible that the Bitcoin bull market of 2021 will set off a similar flashpoint, igniting the unconscious cultural recognition that has been growing under the surface that Bitcoin is here to stay, and something that everyone wants a piece of, after ignoring it for the last decade. This gold rush will also not be confined to internet natives and digital companies, but will draw in, quote, foreign demand from legacy markets and physical store-of-value asset classes, bringing these analog businesses and investment types to the Internet's shores, 
into the fold of the digitization of everything. Access reaches the mainstream. Transcontinental railroads and retail banking goes Bitcoin. The further we extrapolate from Bitcoin's present in the American West state in 1845, the less clear the portents become. That being said, the late 1800s in the American West involved a prevailing theme, increasing access to the masses. With everyone wanting a slice of the American West, there was business to be had by making it easier for people to access the West. Covered wagons bumping along in earthen ruts was grossly mismatched to the broad demand for transportation to the West. Among titans of industry, the race was on. Whoever could complete a transcontinental railroad line first would receive booming business. Because of the considerable capital expenditures and land requirements involved in creating a transcontinental railroad, coalitions formed to lobby Congress for their plan selection. Disagreements on whether the route should originate in the north or the south became unstuck when the south seceded, and the route from Omaha to Sacramento was selected. This project, a collaboration of the three railroad companies, run by executives with soon-to-be old-money names like Stanford and Huntington, was completed in 1869 when Leland Stanford drove the final spike that connected the railroad segments. This new generation of infrastructure helped open the West to commerce and tourism on a scale that would have seemed impossible to the mountain men a few decades earlier. This phase of frontier development involved the alignment of big business and regulatory bodies in response to the overwhelming demand from the public for access to the West. It's not too difficult to imagine that a similar phase of development might be on the horizon for Bitcoin. If public demand continues growing for access to Bitcoin as a store of value, large corporate interests like banks will build the infrastructure necessary for them to profit from this demand. Indeed, the early stages of just such a push are already in motion, with the OCC issuing guidance allowing for national banks to provide cryptocurrency custody services to their customers. With Cynthia Loomis voted in as the first proudly pro-Bitcoin U.S. senator and a growing number of Bitcoiners in Congress, it's not too hard to imagine these trends continuing and the mutual collaboration of big business and legislators allowing for increasing approval of Bitcoin and integration of the asset into traditional banking business models. Integration into the mainstream. Statehood and highways and the Bitcoin standard. While the industrial railroad infrastructure opened the West to economic pursuit and broader settlement, the following decades would be characterized by the fleshing out of this early scaffold of development. Towns popped up along the railroad artery, themselves becoming ports of trade for a branching network of smaller outpost towns further out in the hills or prairies. Eventually, these constituent regions sought to organize themselves into legislative bodies and apply for statehood. Trails were broadened into dirt roads, which were eventually paved. The automobile industrialized personal transportation and eventually begot highways. By the middle of the 20th century, the West was just about as developed as the East, despite its 200-year head start. 
Today, it's nearly impossible to imagine America as anything short of sea to shining sea. Perhaps it was America's manifest destiny from the start, but perhaps it was made so by the bold step of a visionary like James Monroe, who set in motion an inevitable and self-reinforcing chain reaction of individualistic decisions to seek economic opportunity in the West. At first, gradually, then suddenly. Similarly, it is only natural to imagine Bitcoin's current state as its terminal stage of development. However, by recognizing just how early it is in its adoption and ecosystem development, we gain perspective about how much more development remains. Hopefully, through the analogy of the American West, it's a little easier to conceive of the flywheel of network effects driving increasing adoption and eventually culminating in the Internet's manifest destiny. The Bitcoin Standard. And that concludes Bitcoin and the American West by Croesus. All right, so I got my email this morning that I stacked with Swan Bitcoin. And honestly, I cannot describe how awesome it is to just know that I am always buying Bitcoin. It runs automatically. That something I know that I am going to do is just taken care of for me. And I can still go to the site and smash buy all the time whenever I want. In fact, this past week or two has been kind of absurdly full of smash buying. But no matter what is happening, no matter what Bitcoin is doing, no matter where I am, if I'm busy with something else, Swan Bitcoin keeps stacking for me. And it even goes a step further. You know, Swan has some of the best education in their space. I read a lot of stuff from their blog constantly. They are always running Twitter spaces and clubhouse rooms so people can ask questions. They make themselves constantly available. And they even have Swan Private for high net worth investors. It gives you literally direct access to the team. You get assistance with your taxes, no purchase limits, retirement guidance. They will walk you through self-custody and the best security practices. I mean, just the whole package. If you are not on the Swan train yet, you got to get on it. SwanBitcoin.com slash guy is my referral link, and it actually also supports the show. It lets them know that I sent you there. Again, that is SwanBitcoin.com slash guy. People always ask me what the best way to buy Bitcoin is. It is simply Swan Bitcoin. I think my absolute favorite thing about this analogy of this, this whole piece from Croesus, uh, which I have been meaning to read for ages, and I'm sorry it took me so long to get to because I had a couple people mention it, and uh, I told Croesus actually in DM, I don't know, months and months ago that I was like, no, I'm actually planning on reading this. Um, but uh, my favorite thing about it is, is possibly the comparison between the mountain men and the early Bitcoiners uh, that... Jebediah Smith had been mauled by a bear and that the early Bitcoiners were all all ended up getting mauled by a couple of bears. Um, and damn it, if that is not true, um, uh, anybody who's heard uh, my story of getting into Bitcoin, myself and my brother were both mauled by a vicious, horrible bear literally moments after we first got into Bitcoin. One of the worst bears that there was. And then unfortunately, it doesn't quite come across in the audio for this, 
uh, because it's got a picture. But anybody who's seen the picture of Pierre, where he's just got tons of beard and hair coming out of his uh, cowboy hat, it looks <laughs> oddly very similar. It's, it's the mountain man picture, right? And he compares it to Seth Kinman, uh, known for killing 800 grizzly bears. And uh, they look oddly similar. Pierre Richard, known for slaying Keynesians. I gotta admit, I kind of chuckled when I saw those pictures as I was reading through this. But overall, this is a really fun analogy for a number of different reasons. First is, this is a new frontier in cyberspace. Like, cyberspace, quote-unquote, like the internet, is an entirely new set of infrastructure in our world. It is, it is its own ecosystem. It has its own quote unquote land. It has its own property like URLs and like, and how people associate people travel to you. You literally surf the web. You move through it as a space that has information um, and connections to different ideas. It's really crazy. The experience and the thing of like what the thing of the internet is that has been built and that we have just become accustomed to. Um, and uh, and it's absolutely right, I think, to to consider it a new frontier. And I uh, I like how he kind of starts out the framing of this is that when we compare Bitcoin to the internet, which obviously I think you know TCP/IP, the underlying protocol of the internet, the the uh, the computer language that enabled the internet to exist, and Bitcoin, I think there is a very tight corollary. There is a very strong analogous life and development path between these two systems. They, they are very much in the same realm. And there is so much that we can pull from internet his, the history of the internet, uh, the history of privacy on the internet, of uh, decentralized protocols like BitTorrent, that I think we can apply, we can uh, use to learn lessons from in order to better know and understand the path forward with Bitcoin. But Croesus lays this whole thing against, like, you know, recognizes the value of that comparison, but then kind of forces you to stop and think that the internet isn't even close to being done. You know, we take for granted that uh, the internet is here and the internet is, has been massively fleshed out in the last 20 or 30 years but the internet is still in its infancy the internet is still at the beginning in fact one could argue that before bitcoin before the internet had a native monetary asset there was so much potential that the internet could never actually accomplish without it this is truly the next chapter of the internet, in my opinion. Like Bitcoin and the, the uh, presence, the, the very potential that is unlocked with the ability to turn monetary and economic value into pure information to develop protocols, to uh, create software, to, to make money a software product and system. I think that is going to make where we are with the internet today and where the internet has been in the last 10 years that feels like we've entered this whole new phase. I think I think the existence and the introduction of Bitcoin is such an indication that we really are at the very beginnings of this thing. 
And so that analogy, if we look at where we are in the timeline of the internet and Bitcoin, um, realizing that the internet is really just getting started, well, then we run into a, a barrier. We run into a wall very quickly when we're trying to project out what we think the future of Bitcoin is going to be. And that's why there's so many great analogies and pieces that we've covered in the show. Like uh, uh, Nick Carter has done some really great historical comparisons. Turdemeester has done a number of them. Um, like there's been wonderful parallels and explanations of uh, how Bitcoin compares to oil, um, how uh, Bitcoin compares to the, uh, what was it, the French Revolution, I believe. Oh man, I need to, need to go back to that piece. I think that was a, one by Turdemeester. Um, how uh, Bitcoin compares to the printing press uh, we covered. There's so many great ways to show when, when a technology fundamentally changes the how we interact with a certain thing, like, like just goes down to the very building blocks of how something is accessed and what its quote-unquote permissions, the barriers around it are. When those things change, the development and the new potential that is unlocked from that, there's first order, second order, third order, fourth order effects, and the, the expansion of that technology and the adoption of that technology is always so much greater than it appears. Because after you start getting the, you know, the first state, the first order and the second order effect, suddenly all of these new things become possible that weren't possible before because now you've laid the groundwork for how to extend this to a new to an entirely new layer to an entirely new ecosystem or demographic and a decent example of this is lewis and clark and the mountain men like like i really love how like laying out this frontier because you know comparing lewis and clark to hal finney uh laszlo all of these cypherpunks who were there at the very beginning who downloaded this software when that's all it was it was just this thing shared on the cryptography mailing list and the geeks who didn't, you know, I mean, think about it. Like at that point, if you couldn't read or make sense of the code, there was nothing to go by. Like, you know, you just installed this thing via Git, you know, like, like in terminal. There was nothing there. Like it was just a piece of software. You had to explore this blindly. And one thing that actually like just kind of, you know, I have this idea of Lewis and Clark, right? And, you know, they quote-unquote conquered the West. They um, uh, drew out the map of the West and they explored and everything. And it was the first time that, uh, as he says, there were lines on the map. And it's so funny how simplified that gets in the the view, like like kind of in my mind of, oh yeah, so Lewis and Clark walked West and they <laughs> marked down a lot of the stuff that they found. But it's crazy. You look, there is, an, there is an image in this piece, and I highly recommend going to the link. I, like I said, I'll have the link in the show notes because there are a lot of different images, like the, the map of the U.S. in 1800, and then there is literally a track, the track of Lewis and Clark and the, the quote-unquote map that they created, and holy crap. Like, like they didn't... They didn't just walk west. Like, they literally, like, scoured and, like, broke this thing down like a grid. And they have a rough map 
of the whole West. Like, they walked over everything. Like, I cannot even fathom that task. Like, that just seems insane to me, To For years and years, you were just... You're just walking across the landscape to record and see what you... I mean, just, like, holy crap. But, truthfully... um. It's so funny even, like, the, the comparisons, like, they use, uh, Acrisis grabs, like, some of those uh, quotes and, like, kind of references. It talked about, like, you know, the United States, or, or at least the, the colonies and the states that had arisen to that point. Like, the idea of anything west of the Mississippi was just kind of like, eh, there's nothing over there. Like, like, the thought that there's actually more land and potential and growth that could happen to the west of the Mississippi was just not even in their worldview. They're just like, no, everything is just here in the east. This is, this is it. And I think that's where most people, where most people's limits of their imagination are. You know, we're, we're very limited by the perceived barriers of our world. And that's where the internet lies, where the internet obviously does these tasks, but it can't do this other stuff. Like, like there's this whole realm that it doesn't, participate in because that's just the world that's just the the scope of what this is so it, it's we naturally think the limitation that is here right now is basically the the limitation you know it's like the horizon right there there has always been a horizon in human history you know first it was just as far as the eye could see then it was uh the edge of the continent um, then we cross the oceans and uh, suddenly, you know, it's the whole world, uh, but the world's the center of the universe. Uh, then it's just like, you know, slightly outside the first few planets and the sun or whatever. And then uh, suddenly it's, you know, the edge of the galaxy and there's like all these stars and this craziness. And now it's the edge of the universe. Like the horizon is constantly pushed forward, but we're constantly in this place. It's like, oh, well, yeah, obviously the end of the universe, the edge of the universe is the edge. And it's just it's crazy how much of progress and innovation is so hard to foresee, but so blatantly obvious in hindsight. Um, and, uh, but, but I love the, like I said, the whole point of this little comparison was to go back to how Hal Finney and the cypherpunks were like Lewis and Clark. They were taking something that was blank, that was not in anyone's consciousness. And they were just, they were just literally digging. They were, they were just straight out, adventuring out into this unknown, testing this thing out, running the software. What the hell is this thing? What does it even, how do you even interact with it? You know, and it was, uh, it's just fascinating because in the eyes of the geeks of the cypherpunks who were there in that space, they put something into consciousness as to what this thing was where a blank space laid before. Suddenly there's something to compare. There's an image to hold in your mind about what this thing is, what this new space is. And then you have a couple of different bubbles. And, uh, uh, and in fact, actually, uh, going back down like to the, the areas, uh, the, the era of the mountain men when it comes to like going west and laying out tracks and the, the real crazy adventurers. Um, not to, you know, at, at the risk of sounding uh, not humble here, um, is that I feel like that's kind of when my brother and I found it was, you know, everything was still like, like the, the shoddiest looking, like sort of like windows 98 kind of software and everything was like bare bones. There were no real legitimate companies, you know, like we, 
the it was the creepiest, shadiest process I had ever gone through at the time to put money into the account that I was trying to use, which was some service I'd never heard of that seemed sketchy that I had to then send to a service that we'd never heard of that seemed sketchy in order to send it to the exchange at the time, and uh, uh, which was uh, uh, MT Gox, Mt. Gox. And it was an awful process. We thought at least two times in the process, the money was just gone. Like we were, we had just made a terrible, dumb decision. I mean, it just, it just felt like going on the internet and walking down this weird alley. Like, like if you went downtown and just started going down an alley and you saw like a door that was like lit up and you were like, and you heard music or something going on inside, you're just like, maybe I'll just go in here. (laughs) But there's another graphic actually that Croesus has in this section which I love, and I had never really thought about it this way because it's a link to, um, I don't know. Let me, let me go to this account. It's F N I E T O M. Uh, is there like a real name here? Load, load, load. Spinny wheel. Finitum. At I don't know. Um, uh, somebody. Uh, it's a it's an account on Twitter. I started following him after this. But it's a early Bitcoin prices before Mt. Gox, before the exchanges. And it accounts for a lot of the early trades and stuff. But one thing that I'll actually read this tweet um, because uh, this is just a really, really clever way to think about it. It says, first, most Bitcoin price charts don't show prices previous to Mt. Gox. But Bitcoin had a price since the first block was mined when Satoshi exchanged a certain amount of electricity for the first 50 Bitcoin reward. Actually, the first Bitcoin exchange was based on a cost formula deriving Bitcoin price from the hash rate. I had never put that in, like I had never actually put that together, that there was always a Bitcoin price because it always cost electricity to produce valid hashes. And so you could actually derive how many, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of Bitcoin were uh, were equal to a dollar because of the very low difficulty of the hash rate. But you had to you had to pay that cost to get Bitcoin. So anybody who was participating in Bitcoin was in fact paying a cost to get it, even if. Maybe they were giving some of that Bitcoin away. That's irrelevant. It's like a faucet, right? Fold gives sats away all the time. I have a daily faucet. I got 250 sats today. Boom. So that doesn't mean that those sats are free. That doesn't mean they're not worth anything. Quite to the contrary. I know they're worth a lot. I love, I I need my sats. But even before, and I don't know, maybe I have actually run across this at some point. I have no idea. I'd have to dig through my Bitcoin links, link databases. There's so many times that I'll actually rediscover something and I don't even realize that I had already saved it or I had already stumbled upon it. Um, But the idea of actually having a price chart all the way back to the Genesis block and just having a formula based on the most common, like whether it's done on a CPU, GPU, FPGA, and ASIC, et cetera, et cetera. And um, uh, the using some sort of a formula to to lay out the chart on a call for a cost basis on bitcoin that was just i, I don't know why i don't know why that, that, that just kind of like stuck with me and i was like oh shit that is great i actually had to stop reading and recording for a little bit and kind of think on that I had to ponder that for a little while because i don't know i don't know maybe i'm just a 
total nerd, but I, I thought that was fascinating. But getting into the back end of this analogy of the California gold rush, of the, the, the rail lines, the railroad being connected from east to west, I really like this analogy because I do think that's where we are. I think we are finally in the place where the legacy world, the old frontier, and the new frontier are being connected, where this ecosystem is starting to merge, where the internet, where legacy finance is now being, has the major bridges necessary in order to quote unquote, plug into Bitcoin. And in the same context that there were, uh, you know, a couple of railroads, uh, rail, um, uh, railroad companies that finally finished a single railroad there. It's arguable, like, like for what the best analogy to that would be, um, it's hard to say, uh, because, you know, you could say you could use the example of like somebody like Nidig and strike and Swan, all these, all these major institutions, Coinbase and everything that's plugging the legacy financial system into Bitcoin that is basically integrating these two things. But then there's also, uh, there's a viable argument to be made for El Salvador here. And that the rail itself is the lightning network, much like, you know, much like the web moment where the experience of the internet became something that the average person could actually understand and identify with. Like it was, it was an experience rather than uh, some strange new technology. Well, it obviously always was a strange new technology, but it, it pulled down a lot of the barriers and, and particularly in the context of like mass adoption, it gave the internet a feel. And I think Lightning Network is that thing. In fact, we will read, I've been reading through uh, The State of Lightning by Async or I think it's Async? Lightning Labs, I think, or, or Arcane Research, maybe. When was this? Okay, Arcane Research. Yes, it's done by Arcane Research and uh, with the help of uh, a lot of different institutions. Um, but uh, I've been reading through this and it's been talking about how the Lightning Network has grown in the past year and, or basically, you know, the state of lightning. And then as well that it's particularly, particularly with El Salvador now on, essentially on stage, it was kind of this black swan event sort of thing where it was this really unexpected, massive adoption of lightning network usage. And that's actually something that was seen in uh, on Lightning Network, like the, the data from the Lightning Network and a lot of major nodes, is that even though we saw a huge amount of no, new nodes come on the network, new channels and higher liquidity on the network, the amount of normal transactions, the amount of transaction activity that happened on Lightning actually just blew the, the, channel, the new channels and the new liquidity out of the water because the amount, the, the liquidity locked up in the Lightning Network goes both directions. So you can actually get an order of magnitude. You can get 2x, 3x, 4x in the amount of transaction and throughput just in the, the liquidity that's already available just by people using it more frequently by services and stores actually accepting the Lightning Network. And that kind of feels, at least to me, it seems analogous to that moment where somebody can just go get on a train 
and it's not it's not quote unquote going west anymore you know you're not you're not on a covered wagon wheel a covered a covered wagon like going through ruts and trying to traverse through this wilderness with a lightly laid path that maybe you're not even sure about half the time like you're you literally get on a train you you have your luggage and then you can just travel to the west you can end up in the west like now it is an ecosystem that you can connect to now people in mass can move out and start building infrastructure building out the ecosystem and you've got this whole new world you've just got the the expansion and the possibilities here are absolutely incredible and i genuinely believe we will have a gold rush like like much like what Creasus is talking about in this article is that people are going to be desperate to be the ones building the shovels uh, selling the shovels to uh, sell the shifters to be the, be the town that people stop at when they get off the train and, uh, and I think we've only begun to see I think where we are right now is that the news of gold in California has arrived and the railroad the the train tracks have been laid and you can now get on a train but people so many people just still don't no, they're they're aware. It's like in their presence, or, or it's the it's in the consciousness. Like people know that the West exists, that there is this vast land with uh with huge opportunity, and maybe they don't understand it. They've never really sat down and looked at the map. They don't know if they've got the confidence to get on the train and go take the risk. But this is the era for the early adopters, for the adventurers, and for anybody who is just getting into Bitcoin, who has gotten here very recently, understand we are still at the beginning. We, we truly are. And I, I love the analogy of the Wild West, of um, the new frontier and the manifest destiny of America to go west and settle the entire continent. I love that because it just shows it's such a good example of how wide open uh, or it's it's just good imagery. <laughs> you know, it's it's a picture of just showing how wide open the future is for Bitcoin. Do not underestimate how much further we have to go, how much work we need to do, and how many more opportunities there are here. Um, I, I genuinely think we have the opportunity to redesign the web. We and and I don't mean that in some silly, obnoxious, everything's gonna be on a blockchain web three sort of experience. I mean when you can monetize a protocol, when you can tie money to communication, to internet communication, what can be done with that and what we can try to do with that, there is no limit. There like imagine something, try to build something. Uh, try to learn, figure out how you can participate because this is this is the West. This is where the future lies and this is where all of our greatest opportunities and the potential to solve so many problems lies. And it's not even just that West is there and we can go build out this whole new world, but at the exact same time, the legacy world is crumbling. Imagine if it's happening while the East is undergoing an earthquake or something like it's not only that the West is this huge opportunity, it's that the West is an exit to a, a, a stagnant, destructive system that is desperately out of balance and so in debt that the very idea that we could have a better future is in question. And I refuse to accept that that is our world. 
It's not. Bitcoin is here. We have a new frontier. We have every opportunity ahead of us that we could possibly imagine. Everything is up for fixing. So let's build, let's learn, let's share, you know, dive in head first. We need the bold and the reckless to test and explore. Um, give feedback, help out a project in any way that you can. If you're interested or excited about a project, go there, talk to the people, see what you can do to help. And, you know, I tell everybody, I get so many people who ask me how, how to get a job in Bitcoin, like, what should they be looking for and who should they talk to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and every single company, I, t I tell this all the time because this is how I got involved with a number of different projects before I just kind of pushed back away from everything and just focused entirely on the show and 111 and what we wanted to do here um, because I just think there's huge potential in this. I mean, hopefully, hopefully I could be more valuable in bringing people to the space. But every single company in this space as a telegram group. They have a community around it where people are using the product, they're asking questions, they're having problems with the service, they're failing to understand the literally ridiculous amounts of things there are to wrap your head around. People come into this space new and they feel incredibly lost for good reason. It is confusing, it can be daunting. Go to these groups, go to these communities, answer every question that you know how. If you see somebody who has a problem that maybe you had already and you just fixed it really easy or support, you asked support and they, they sorted out what the problem was, explain how you fixed it. If you see somebody trying to understand something, maybe may answer it if you think you know it, but maybe just see if you can find the answer, if you've got the time, and then relay it to them. Shoot them a private message or, or post it in the group to make sure other people can see it in case they have that question too. You would not believe how useful it is to simply be present and have people know that they are being heard. And the number of new users are always going to be, especially we're in, like, I, like uh, Chris has said, and like I believe we're going to be really in the heart of the gold rush within, uh, you know, in the next couple of years. New people are always going to be outnumbering the number of people available to help and the people who have the answers. If you can do this once, once every day, do it. Imagine the impact if we could have if every single Bitcoiner who listens to this show just ded dedicated a little bit of time to answering a single question every day in some group or helping somebody else, helping somebody out who is having a problem with just some service or a wallet that you use. You use Blue Wallet, you've set up a bunch of wallet stuff, just go, just go get in the group with Blue Wallet and be ready to answer questions. Help people out, just kind of scan it every, every little while. Helping one person who's having an issue and stick with them until it is resolved. I mean, maybe you guys already are. I know Bitcoiners are crazy helpful people and, and we try to be inviting despite the toxicity on Twitter from time to time. But just never become complacent. Never assume somebody else is going to take care of it. If you can contribute, if you can help, just do it. And I, I have even been trying my damnedest to learn how to program Bitcoin, even though I suspect I will not be even half as useful in that arena as I feel like 
at least the podcast and doing audio to to make everybody able to, to have people able to read all of this stuff that I know ain't nobody got time for that shit. So I at least I at least want to understand it well enough that I can better articulate or break down some of the developments that are happening, the technology, you know, I'm putting a lot of work just to understand what the fuck Taproot is so that I can explain it to you guys because I feel like that's useful. I know people just don't have the time to do that. Um, and uh, I hope, I at least want to understand Bitcoin at the base layer and the script well enough that maybe I can make sense of things that, you know, if there's a problem or there's a possibility, I can look at it one layer down, one layer lower uh, than, than where I am right now. So I am slowly creeping my way through Jimmy Song's programming blockchain book. So we'll see how that goes. But that is my, uh, that's my call of duty for you guys today. And uh, I guess we'll end this, this episode the way Croesus did, because I just, I just love the closing remarks. Before we do real quick, I just want to thank uh, our sponsors for keeping the lights on and keeping me fed and, and making this possible and bringing all of this to you guys. Uh, and I hope that you guys continue to find value out of it. Uh, uh, the fold card, obviously, uh, just an awesome product stack, uh, stack sats on literally everything you do with a debit card, Swan Bitcoin, um, a longtime sponsor and huge fan. I use their service literally since it came out to buy Bitcoin, uh, the Bitbox great hardware wallet for storing bitcoin and uh bitcoin 2022 the bitcoin conference um and there's lots of different discounts and goodies for you guys uh for listeners to the show if you just click on the link available in the show notes so thank you to all of them for helping out with this show but uh let's hit our final thoughts from Croesus. i i just i absolutely love this today it's nearly impossible to imagine America as anything short of sea to shining sea. Perhaps it was America's manifest destiny from the start, but perhaps it was made so by the bold step of a visionary like James Monroe, who set in motion an inevitable and self-reinforcing chain reaction of individualistic decisions to seek economic opportunity in the West. At first, gradually, then suddenly. Similarly, it is only natural to imagine Bitcoin's current state as its terminal stage of development. However, by recognizing just how early it is in its adoption and ecosystem development, we gain perspective about how much more development remains. Hopefully, through the analogy of the American West, it's a little easier to conceive of the flywheel of network effects driving increasing adoption and eventually culminating in the Internet's manifest destiny, the Bitcoin standard. Like we were destined to go west for America to be sea to shining sea, the Internet's destiny was always to become the standard for communication, the global decentralized network, for organizing and connecting the human race and the manifest destiny of that system, that the end game of communication without barriers lies in the most important form of communication to build society, value, that it's in establishing an open, 
neutral, incorruptible standard for communicating value, for establishing a truly free market and tearing down the last remaining barriers around the world. Just maybe, the manifest destiny of the internet is the Bitcoin standard. With that, I'll catch you guys on the next episode of Bitcoin Audible. And until then, take it easy, guys. You have been listening to Bitcoin Audible, a 111 production. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.